speaking to those disciples who had heard Jesus' sermon thus far and had made application to the principles of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his, his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. True disciples are those who practice and live the Beatitudes. They are poor in spirit. They mourn because of sin. They are, are meek. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are merciful. They are pure in heart. And they are peacemakers. And they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because the disciples of Jesus manifest these various characteristics, they also have an influence upon others. And as true disciples are concerned with influence, they must realize that every person has an influence. In Romans 14 and verse 7, Paul wrote, For none of us liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now, true disciples are concerned with this influence. And, of course, everybody has that influence. Some have a bad influence, while others have a good influence. True disciples, Christians, should have a good influence. Notice again, verse 8, he said, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. The influence that Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth, is the good influence, and we must be concerned with that. So in looking at ye are the salt of the earth, we want to first look at that particular statement. What does salt of the earth mean? And to whom did Jesus speak those things? Well, first, ye are the salt of the earth was spoken to the disciples. Ye in this passage, and of course remember that ye in old King James English is a plural you. It's second person plural. Ye in this passage are, are the disciples. Jesus spoke to the disciples who were gathered there to listen to him, to hear him teach and to preach. He taught the test of true discipleship is disciples who live according to the Beatitudes. And thus Jesus taught those who make the application of the Beatitudes are those who are the salt of the earth. If we do not make the application of the Beatitudes, we are not the salt of the earth. It's only to the, to the true disciple who make these applications. Now, the figure of salt is a figure of influence. And we know that salt influences whatever it comes in contact with. Now, even a little bit of salt has a great impact. I always think about, and I don't know why, I suppose it's because of where I grew up and those kind of things, but I think about the 
Arkansas River. Now I know that if you're from Arkansas, you call it the Arkansas River, but I'm from Kansas and we call it the Arkansas River. But the Arkansas River begins up by Leadville, Colorado. And it's actually the headwaters are at the base of Mount Elbert, which is the tallest mountain in Colorado. And it travels down through Colorado and actually on the on the western part or the eastern part of Colorado, there are two lakes that have been great dispute for years and years because it, it stops the flow of water that goes into Kansas, but be that as it may. But when it crosses the Colorado, it's, it's pure, it's good water, and thus the reason for the lakes. And even when it gets into Kansas, it's good water and goes up through Great Bend, Kansas, and there's a great bend of the Arkansas River or the Arkansas River, and then it goes through, the, through or above the salt flats of Kansas, up by Hutchison, Kansas, and it picks up some salt there. But then when it gets down in, to Oklahoma here, there's a salt fork of the Arkansas River that dumps into it. And by the time it gets to Tulsa, the water is not good for consumption. Now, after it leaves Tulsa, there are enough rivers and, and uh, creeks that flow into it that it dilutes that, but it's the influence of salt that makes it not consumable as far as Tulsa, Oklahoma is concerned. And so the, so the Arkansas River is influenced by salt. Now, another way of saying the earth is, it's just simply another way of saying the world. You are the salt of the earth, means that you are the salt of the earth. In this case, the earth or the world is not this planet. And we, and we understand that from scripture. There are a number of places that it's not used with reference to the planet. It's used in reference to those who make this planet their home. All those who are not Christians make this world their home. Now, Christians, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus in his prayer for unity said in John 17, verses 14 to 16, I have given them thy word, and the world hateth them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And because we are not of the world, we ought not to love the world. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, John made it very clear. In fact, it's actually a commandment. It's an imperative. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is, the world, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so we're not to love the world. Now that doesn't mean that we're not to love the people of the world, but we're not to love the things that the people of the world do, and we're not to love worldliness. 
So we're not to love the world in that sense. But we're also not to be conformed to this world. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it said, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect, uh, good and uh, acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, Paul makes it very clear. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Don't picture yourself like the world. You know, sometimes kids will say, well, everybody's doing it. Well, that's conformity to the world. Do you really want to be like the world? Love not the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't act like the world. Don't dress like the world. Don't um, do the things that the world does. Love not the world. And don't be conformed to this world. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your uh, mind. And so we are to be transformed. We're to have that metamorphosis. I'm always reminded of the song that I learned years ago. Bullfrogs and butterflies, they've both been born again. Well, Christians also have been born again. And we must always remember that we're not to be like the world. But then also Christians have crucified the world unto themselves. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul wrote, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Well, since Christians are the salt of the earth, then this implies that the world needs salt. Now, God made man in such a way that we need certain things. Now, we're not talking about the things that we'd like to have, but we're talking about necessities. And admittedly, most foods have enough salt in it that it's, it would completely suffice all of our needs if we didn't salt any of it. But aren't we thankful that God does provide us salt? And there are certain things that, you know, I just want to have a little salt with it. I mean, I can't hardly stand watermelon without a little bit of salt or tomatoes without... Uh, that is fresh tomatoes, sliced tomatoes, without a little bit of salt. And so it is that man made us in such a way that we, uh, that we are physically dependent on, on some things. We're physically dependent upon water. We're physically dependent upon food. We're physically dependent upon air. We're physically dependent upon shelter. And good listeners, we're also physically dependent upon salt. We have to have salt. Now that doesn't mean we have to have too much of it, but we do have to have it. There are many things that people call necessities that are really not necessities. Fine houses with carpet, drapes, etc., or automobiles. And, well, the list could go on and on of things that are really not necessities. <laughs> but most of us don't want to give them up. I mean, I'll have to admit that. But at the same time, we need to realize those are things that God's blessed us with, but they're really not necessities. Much of the world, in fact, when I was down in Mexico recently, that... 
I don't think there were even half the members of the congregation there that had automobiles. Most of them walked, and very few actually had automobiles. They didn't have a parking lot, and there were, I doubt that there were seven or eight cars, or, or in this case, actually pickups, most of them, that were parked around that church building. It was, it was quite full. And so there were by far the majority of, of the people there did not have cars. Well, those basic necessities are what we're talking about. And those basic necessities is inclusive of salt. Now, in our second point, I want to look at some characteristics of salt. You know, when I think about salt, the most basic characteristic is flavor. And I don't know how you could get around that. And really, that's the point that Jesus made in this particular passage. Jesus said, but if the salt has lost its savor, or I think New King James says flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? And so Jesus then pointed out this most basic thing. You know, life without Christianity, life without being a disciple is insipid and tasteless. Look at life and the pleasures and the riches that the world seek after. And yet they never find real joy, nor do they find happiness. And you look at people's lives and all the things that they do in order to gain happiness, and yet they don't find it because they do not have Christ in their lives. Look at death and the hours of sorrow and sickness. And we spend in this world all that time with dealing with those kind of things. Most of us can remember at a young age some death or some sickness that we've had. And we look back at life and we, we notice that in life, that's the way life is. We spend much time in sorrow and we spend much time in sickness. And death has an impact upon us. And yet, the world has no real answers for such things. I really, truly feel sorry for atheists because when this life is over, what do they have? Absolutely nothing. They think that that will be the end, but sad to say, that won't be the end for them. And I can't imagine waking up in eternity and being lost for, for eternity. The world has no real answers for happiness. Jesus provides us the real answers, but also he provides the hope. And by doing such, he gives life meaning and true flavor and thus salt. The story is told of an ancient king who asked his daughter how much she loved him. And the daughter said, I love you like salt. Well, the king was offended and he considered it a reckless insult. 
even a thoughtless statement. So the daughter the next morning got up and fixed him breakfast and didn't salt anything. And then he understood. I love you like salt. Salt has influence. And we must always remember that salt has flavor. But then also salt is a preservative and an antiseptic. Before refrigeration, and I would imagine that those who Jesus taught in his day understood this, that meat needed to be preserved. And in fact, in some places of the world where they don't have refrigeration, and I can think of different places that I've been where they didn't have refrigeration, and if they wanted to preserve something, they would have to salt it. In fact, in Kiev, Ukraine, you could go down the street and see salted fish just about everywhere by the, uh, by the metro station where we were close to. And, uh, and they sold that because they preserved it with that salt. Well, salt obviously kills germs that are left on it and it also preserves. The world left to itself becomes filthy and totally rotten. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So Christians are the salt of the earth because they preserve and they heal. They do this by the power of the gospel by preaching and teaching. And we must then go out into the world and add a little salt to people's life. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. We give them meaning and we give their life tastes. In Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But let's put that back into to the context. In verse 14, it says, I am a debtor both to the Jews and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that in Rome also. Now, Paul made it very clear. He was ready to go to Rome. Now, when he wrote this, he was probably in Corinth or someplace like that. And he was on the way to Jerusalem, but he was wanting to go to Rome. And he desired to go to Rome and he was willing to go to Rome. But don't think about it like getting on a jet plane and going across a few thousand miles to get there. No, there was a lot of difference between cultures of that particular day because they didn't have modern television and radio and things like that. And so there was a lot of differences in culture. But he said, I'm willing to go to Rome. And then he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I actually got through it that time, Bill. So and in that quote. And then he says, For therein is the righteousness of God. In other words, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we then by the power of the gospel, sprinkle the world and our friends and our neighbors with a little bit of salt and gives meaning to life. We also do this by example. In Titus 2 and verse 7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, 
in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, and other things that he listed in that particular place. And so we then provide salt by what we say, by our example. And Christians also preserve in another way too. God may have spared our world because of the righteous remnant within it. Brethren, think about this for a second. The old world before the flood was not spared because of the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and every imagination and thought of his heart was only continue, evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. It was spared for at least a few hundred years or for 120 years while Noah built that ark. And so it is the case that he might be sparing the world at the present time because of the righteous remnant. And Sodom would have been spared if there was only 10 righteous souls in it. Now that's that's what Abraham, remember he, he we sometimes will say that he was uh, dickering with God. Some people would say it that way. And he started out with a greater number of people. Will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if you can find, you know, um, I forget the number that he started with, with that number, and he got down to 10 souls. You know what? The fact that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed says there wasn't even 10 righteous souls in those cities, the cities of the plains, those five cities of the plains. Not even 10 righteous souls. He would have spared it and would not have destroyed those five cities if it was if just ten righteous souls were there. And it makes one wonder, or a person to wonder, if that's not the situation that we have today. Is he sparing us because of the righteous remnant? I don't know, and I don't know that anybody could ever answer that. But I know this. I'm thankful for the righteous remnant and I'm thankful that God has spared us and given us the opportunity to be right before him. Another characteristic of salt is that it works quietly. Have you ever put your ear to food when you salted it? <laughs> well, admittedly, I haven't done that. Although I, have, I haven't put my ear close to it where I'd hear it, but I have kind of listened because of, of this particular illustration. And we know that salt makes no sound when you salt food. It makes no formal announcements of its presence. It makes no fanfare, no grasping for glory. It's not like Rice Krispies, the snap, crackle, and pop. You know, there are some folks that that's what they want to do. They'll brag about this that they've done. They'll brag about that that they've done. They'll tell you about all the works they're involved in and all the different things that they do. And they are, I guess you would call them the uh, snap, crackle, and pop of the brotherhood. 
But the influence of Christians is a silent influence. And it should be that way. We don't need a placard that says or announces the good works that we've done. We don't need a great sign that announces to everybody the accomplishments that we have done. That's not our purpose. And I'm always amazed at some brethren that they want to they tell everything that they've done. Well, that's not really what we need to be doing. Salt works quietly, and we need to work quietly. A further characteristic of salt is that it creates a thirst and is penetrating. There's not many things that create a thirst like salt. And Christians ought to live in such a way that we cause others to thirst for the water of life. In John 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Instead of creating spiritual thirst, some in the world have become so hardened by the actions of some Christians that I've heard people say, well, if Christianity is like that, I don't want any part of it. Well, brethren, we can't not be like that. A spiritually... A spiritual, happy, wholesome life can inspire our children, our neighbors, our friends, our schoolmates, and our fellow workers to become Christians. Yea, it can, can penetrate the hardest of hearts. I'm always reminded of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 concerning the 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 wife that's a Christian and the husband that's not. And Peter wrote, Likewise, ye wife, be in subjection unto your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Now, obeying not the world word means that they were not Christians. That they may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, you cannot be won for Christ. You cannot win somebody to become a Christian in that sense and win their soul in that sense without the word of God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you cannot win them without teaching. And so what do you do? You pay attention to your good conversation. In other words, the way you live and you be the kind of person that you ought to be. I always think about this. Uh, I didn't know the man. I knew the wife and also knew their some of their children and I knew some of their grandchildren and the man that had been so obstinate to the Lord's church but his wife just kept living a godly life and it took a long time I'm talking about you know decades I'm talking about 40 50 years and but she was always faithful she was a teacher in Bible classes she came to services she was always in attendance as far as gospel meetings and those kind of things and toward the end of his life he also ultimately became a Christian but it was her influence that caused that the world needs the penetrating salt 
to create a thirst for the water of life. And a final characteristic is that salt works at the expense of itself and it blends. Put salt on a plate of food and what happens to it? It dissolves and blends into the food. And in fact, if it doesn't dissolve and blend to the food, then it doesn't add flavor. In fact, it makes it taste salty. Well, Jesus came into the world. He did it at his own expense. Now think about that for a second. When Jesus came into this world, he did it at his own expense. He didn't have to come. He willingly came. And it was something that he had to do, but he did it at his own expense. He made a great sacrifice by coming into this world. And he made even a greater sacrifice when he offered himself upon that cross. Paul, in much the same way, modeled his life after, after Jesus. You know, we don't know the early history of Paul other than that he was raised by uh, godly parents in Tarsus. We know that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and he was raised in that way, but we really know very little of Paul's early life. But at the same time, when he did finally become a Christian, did he sacrifice to live the life of a Christian? Yeah, very clearly he did. <coughs> And that's true with the early church. They made great sacrifices in order for the church to continue and for the church to exist. They made great sacrifices within their lives. Now we ought to ask ourselves, what is your discipleship costing you? I think it's a very sobering and thought-provoking question. When the church works together and they give of themselves, then and only then will the church grow like it should. In Ephesians 4 and verse 16, Paul wrote, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of every measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Well, finally, if salt has lost its savor, its flavor, what then? Well, going back to verse number 13, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. So we have to ask the question, how does salt lose its savor? Well, it loses its savor by not living according to the Beatitudes. Don't forget the context. The context of this statement, ye are the salt of the earth, was said to those to whom Jesus preached the Beatitudes. If we do not lose sight of that fact, or we must not lose sight of that fact, when we become no longer poor in spirit, 
When we no longer mourn for sin, when we no longer seek to be meek, when we no longer hunger and thirst after righteousness, when we no longer are merciful and peaceful and, and pure, then we've lost our savor. But then also, not having the qualities of salt, no flavoring enhancing, no preservation that salt provides. It does not work quietly. Then we've lost our, our saltiness. No longer penetrating, no longer creating a thirst, no longer dissolving and blending. We've lost our savor. And it loses its savor by exposure to the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter, or in James chapter 4 and verse 4, we must be on guard against the worldly friendship. There James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And Christians need to be on guard against evil companionship or we'll lose our savor. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, be not deceived. Be not deceived. In other words, if we allow the world to influence us, we are deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. And Christians need to be on guard against the comfort, uh, uh, conforming to the world in Romans 2 and verse, or 12 and verse 2, as we talked about. Have you ever thought about what good is saltiless salt? I mean, it's a, it's a contradiction in, of terms. What good is saltiless salt? Well, Jesus said, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. True disciples are the salt of the earth. When evaporated, every ton of water in the world's oceans produce approximately 80 pounds of salt. Now some oceans are higher in salt content than other oceans, but on average, a ton of water from our oceans produce 80 pounds of salt. Now this should bring some soul-searching questions to our mind. In other words, we ought to be asking ourselves, how much salt is in my life? How much salt is in your life? You know, if since oceans produce different amounts of salt, I want to be, and we are the salt of the earth, I want to be like the saltiest or the salt, the most salt ridden ocean and, and uh, be like that. I want much salt in my life. And brethren, that what that really is saying is I want to have a good impact upon other people. I want to influence them to do right. I want them to be influenced by my life to always live for God. Do you flavor life by your influence? I hope so. Or are you like the salt?
that has lost its savor. This evening, we do want to offer the invitation. I believe that nearly everybody that's here are members of the Lord's church that are accountable age, but there may be someone that need to respond, need to be immersed into Christ. Maybe one of you young people need to be immersed and you know that you should be and been thinking about it. Well, you know, maybe now's the time. Be thinking about it for a moment while we sing this song. And then there are, most of us are members, but you know, sometimes we need the prayers of the church and not necessarily for repentance, although sometimes that, that is the case, but oftentimes because, well, we just need the prayers because of the struggles that are going on in our lives. Whatever your need is, whatever your plea is, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.